Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, of thy Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Greetings. This month we celebrate 500 years since what many call the start of the Protestant Reformation. It was October the 31st, 1517, when Martin Luther nailed his now famous 95 thesis to the jaw of Wittenberg Church in Wittenberg, Germany, to start a discussion about the many ways the church has strayed from the Word of God. It's fitting, though, this month that we have five months for 500 years. Uh, we have five weeks in this month. Each year, normally, there are only four. So this, this, month, this year, we get five weeks. Uh, David knew what men needed to know to keep on the right path, and they need the unchangeable rock to keep their hearts and minds. And so in Psalm 19, he declared this, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In him hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me thou from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my God, my Redeemer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so happy that you have called us into your house again to worship you. Lord, we could be doing many other things today, but today we gather together with the people of God to lift up your praises and to call on you to ask you to forgive us of our sins, Lord, and 
We are hungry today. Lord, feed us uh, from that heavenly manna that only you can give us, God. Change us so that we might be more like you. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said... standing for just a couple more minutes as I read to you my text from Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 20. Uh, it is from the Sermon on the Mount. My sermon today is called Jesus the Great Reformer. Matthew five seventeen. Jesus said this. He said, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us and for calling us again into your house to to hear your words. We pray as we talk today from your word that you would speak to our hearts and that you would change us and that you would transform our minds that we may be renewed by your spirit today. Christ's name we pray. Everybody said amen. You may be seated. Jesus was the great reformer. Everybody say, Jesus was the great reformer. In fact, we know he was the greatest reformer that this world has ever seen. As I said earlier, uh, each year we celebrate the Protestant Reformation. And this year special because we celebrate how many years? Everybody say, 500. 500 years since Martin Luther sparked the great fires of a much-needed change that swept through the church in the 16th century. We celebrate these things not because it was the first time the church has ever needed to make corrections in its course, but because this history is a great reminder of how easy it is to go to the left or to the right off of the narrow way. Remember in our reading from 2 Kings, Josiah read, and what was the first thing that he noticed? He noticed, we have gone off to the right, and we have gone off to the left, and the way that we need to stay on it is by God's Word. In the often quoted words of the Spanish poet, George Santayana, from his work, The Life of Reason, he said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to do what? Repeat it. Here we could be living a wonderful life and we could be doing good things, but we could be establishing things that are taking the church off to the right or off to the left. And so the spirit of reformation says we need to constantly be going to God's word to keep at the center. Amen. This great chapter of history that we are studying and learning about and focusing and celebrating is Important because it shows how we need this constant reformation, or everybody say, Semper Reformanda. From our own sinful tendencies toward the truth of God. How we need to be checked from our tendencies to go hard right or hard left 
to overreact to the problems of the day this way or that way or stray from God's commands, from what He uh, commands and what He condemns. You see, doing, uh, you know, and, and, and sinning against God is not merely in what we do. It's not merely if you steal from your brother's uh, money jar a dollar you've stolen. Stealing is not just the things that you do uh, that violate what God says you're not allowed to do. But stealing is also, uh, sinning is also not doing what God commands. How, How does the catechism say it? What is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. We often focus on the transgressions. What are we not allowed to do? And we don't often focus on what God says we must do. In Josiah's day, as we read from the book of 2 Kings chapter 22, he realized that the great sin that they were doing was that they were not doing what God had said. And so they said, we, he, he realized that God's judgment were going to be poured out on people who were not doing what they were told to do. And so that's what Reformation reminds us of. The church should be a paragon of moderation, not the hotbed of fiery revivals or reactionary non-emotional intellectualism. Non-emotional intellectualism is off to the one side and fiery uh, emotional uh, revival is on the other side. God's people are not people that should be straying to the right or to the left. They should be on the narrow way. That's what the narrow path is all about. It's not the narrow path doesn't mean it's impossible to do it. It doesn't mean that uh, it's so extreme that no one would be willing. It means that what's the hardest thing for us to do is to stay in the center. We want to go and be more holy. You know, uh, Andy was mentioning the Sabbath. It was almost like you were part of what was going on with me this week. There was a man in another church and uh, he'd come to this differing view of the Sabbath that it was really bothering him what people were doing at church. The problem is, is what it was bothering him to do, his inclinations of spirituality was that we should do uh, more and more of what he thinks is spiritual and less and less of what he thinks is not. It's not what the Bible commands. The Bible commands that on the Sabbath we don't work and we don't try to earn money on the Sabbath. That's what we're not supposed to do. It doesn't mean that we can't enjoy ourselves and we can't have fun and we can't enjoy each other. Jesus feasted on the Sabbath. But what happens is, is inside we get these feelings. And this is what this guy's like. Well, if we do that, the next thing you know, we'll have big screen TVs up at the church. And we'll be having Super Bowl parties on Sunday in church instead of having church. He's so worried about where the evil will lead to in his mind because all enjoyment is evil. You see where the doctrine goes bad? Is pleasure bad? No. At God's right hand, there are what? Pleasures evermore. With the righteous is a continual what? feast the whole idea every time God brought his people together when they had to travel to come to Jerusalem the idea is that they would be feasting and celebrating and enjoying and their children would be playing the pleasures uh, that God gives in food and conversation and and enjoyment and sport these are not bad things not that we need to be talking you know be crying every Sunday morning when Ohio State loses and we're like yeah the the books lost today you know and spend our whole day on that you know but we have a tendency to want to go hard right go, oh, what we're going to do is we're only going to meditate and, and, and you know, we're only going to think on scriptures all day long. And if we don't do that somehow, what, what that is a Gnostic tendency uh, and, and it help, it, it, what it does is it divides us and we get in our mind the idea that enjoyment is bad. And so what happens? We end up becoming the kind of 
characteristic, stereotypical Puritans who want, you know, are afraid to eat food that tastes good. They're, you know, someone said this, a Baptist one time, they're, uh, they're against, um, well, actually, I can't say that, but I'm glad I thought about that before I said that. But, but uh, in, in a topsy-turvy world that seems to always be listing like a sinking ship, the ballast of God's people are supposed to bring it to stability, not to the hard right or not to the hard left. This is how God's kingdom comes and His will will be done on earth. Let your moderation, this is what we memorized. Kids, can you, can you quote it? Anybody remember it? Let your moderation be known unto... What that means is let your ability to stay in the center be known. You know, we, we take Christ's admonition from uh, the book of Revelation out of context when we say, uh, you know, if, if you're not hot or you're not cold, God's going to spew you out of his mouth. And so we say, well, we need to be hot on fire for God and we need to be crazy radicals and that's what we need to spend our life. We got to be hot. Or we got to be cold. And then the other people are like, you know, we're going, to be, we're going to be these people that gather together that aren't real excited about what God is doing. But we're just afraid that if we show any emotion, somehow we're going to get caught up in the whole thing. Okay? So, it's not either one. The hard place to be is in the middle. The hard, the hard thing, it's like, it's like uh, the fiddler on the roof. It's hard to fiddle a tune out while standing on the top of a roof. That is the hard road of moderation. Staying in the middle and not going off. And com- making commands that God never made and not making prohibitions that God never made. These are, this is the center is where God wants us to be. During these past two weeks, we have talked about two men God used in their time as stabilizing pillars of the church. These two northern African men, now called saints, Athanasius and Augustine, anchored the church to their theological center like few others had ever done. And hundreds of years later, in the 16th century, when the church had apostatized to a place that would disgust anyone in this room, if you saw the, the, the degradation that, we're, that they had uh, spiraled into, Athanasius and Augustine's teachings from years before gave the reformers uh, of the Great Reformation a chalk line to help them find the lost foundation of the apostles and prophets. Their love of the great cornerstone, Christ himself, offered a clear vision of the building that God was building, the new Jerusalem that is descending down uh, from heaven to earth. Now, as I was thinking about the big picture of what God has been doing for 6,000 years in the world of men, I was reminded that Reformation has always been a part of the story. Um, As I said before, knowing history well is a great way to guard the falling into these errors. Every time I read uh, these church history documents and Reformation documents, what I do is I go, how am I doing the same wrong things that they found themselves doing? This is where humility comes in handy. Pride studies so that you can know more than the other guy about history or about theology. Humility, when you read, you read it and you go, oh God, how am I falling? Like, I know I'm not that wise, but maybe I can learn from the failures of others. There was, a, there was something that I, I was taught when I was young. I had an uncle who lived in my house and, uh, for, about, for several years, and he drank, uh, I think it was vodka and orange juice, uh, like nonstop. He lived in our basement, and he was, he was a sweet drunk, but he was a drunk. And I loved that man. And uh, I sang him songs and played with him and all that. And that may seem a little strange to you, but we did. But, but there was something he told me he would say. He would say, don't, don't ever do this. Don't ever drink. 
He would say, you know, he said a smart man doesn't have to make the mistakes to learn. He can learn from the mistakes of others. He can watch what they've done and not end up repeating them. And as, you know, as he was there, even in the midst of his alcoholism and his difficulty, it made me think like that. I think, okay, how, do, how can I not end up where I see everyone ending up? Maybe I can learn from them because I know I'm too foolish to see it coming. Maybe I can learn from the hindsight of looking at what they've done. We don't often have the foresight to avoid our natural inclinations to go off course. History helps us to see the future, okay? Hindsight is 2020. The Bible, God's Word, are the first 4,000 years uh, of what we can learn, what happened, and then 2,000 years since of what has gone on. We should learn something from it. We should learn what we will do. You might, we look at history oftentimes in a prideful way and go, man, those people are so dumb. I can't believe it. I can't believe that, Dad, you know people lived on poles? They would go up on the top of this pole and they would live this life because they're like, I want to be removed from the things of this world and I don't want to interact and I want to be so holy. I'm going to live on top of the pole. And now when I'm reading this story, I'm going, well, what about the people having to bring food to him and to take care of him? But these people would live. They would never come down from the pole for like 15 years. And they were so holy and so transcendent. Guys, were they holy and transcendent or were they lunatics? They were lunatics. If anybody was living on a pole for 15 years, you would all know the foolishness of it. But at the time, it seemed so holy. It seemed so spiritual. The, we don't have this today very much, but there would be people, they would go and they would build these monasteries and good things happen there. But they would go and live in a cave for their entire life and, and they, would, they would be so spiritual they wouldn't even speak out loud because somehow they, that, that was supposed to bring glory to God. We can learn from these things they did in history. If we look at them in humility instead of pride and go, how dumb were they? We can go, well, what am I doing? How am I finding myself in here? Jesus was the greatest reformer of all, of course. He was the great reformer. His words in life hit at the heart of where we need and we will always need reformation. Um, if you compare the Sermon on the Mount, and, and don't get scared about what I'm going to say, okay, because this is like, it's like a whole book here. But if you compare the Sermon on the Mount with the rebuke of Jesus to the Pharisees, which we read in our gospel reading today, and if you watch what Jesus does every day, which for 76 weeks, guys, we've been studying the life of Christ. Isn't that pretty incredible? 76 weeks every Sunday. His three and a half year ministry, compare it with the Sermon on the Mount and his rebuke. I never noticed any, the rebuke is literally, he's walking through the Sermon on the Mount and he's rebuking them for all the ways they violated. It's pretty amazing. If you go to the Sermon on the Mount, all things he said that you shouldn't do, he's going in, uh, you know, 20 chapter, not 20, but 18 chapters later, and he's going... You do this. These things I said not to do, that's what you do. That's what you do. And he goes down the list of the ways they have violated it. And so I noticed this pattern. And so I looked at Josiah. I looked at David. I looked at the Reformation. And I noticed that the ways of Reformation, the things that we need reform, they're always the same. So we can learn from this historical perspective. <clears throat> Jesus seemed to be at war with the established church of his time. Right? Was he or was he not? He was. Now, the bad conclusion that we get is that all authority is bad and we should be anti-establishment. In fact, a lot of the people in this room, you guys have this in you. You guys belong to a great church and people that love you, and, and, but we're still all suspicious of authority. And we don't want anybody lording over us. And we're going to make sure. You know, I deal with some people at other churches and I'll talk about them. They're bad. You guys are all really, really nice, you know. 
And this guy today, my, my daughter, I have bad hearing and she was even listening and she didn't know who this guy was. And she, and this guy, and I'm talking to this guy for an hour and he's going on and he's like, you know, he's telling me that I'm in Ohio, I'm lording over him. Okay. Somewhere in the world. And he's going on and on and my daughter's listening and she, and I didn't know she was listening. And she's like, dad, if anybody is being disrespectful of their elders, that guy was, you know, and lording over the guy. And she's like sort of comical thinking of it. She doesn't know who he is. So here, here we have people, they're afraid you're lording over them if you even talk to them. You know, what is a shepherd supposed to do if he's not supposed to go, Steve, you can't do that. You know, shepherds show you where the fences are and they lead you by the, 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 the green pastures and by the still waters. They say, it's over here. You go, hey, I don't want you lording over me. You know what I'm saying? That's what we do. But what Jesus, it appears that he's attacking authority. And so what we've kind of gotten is that we should be anti-authority. But he wasn't attacking the authority because authority's bad. He's attacking the authority because the authority had caused the church to go off. So he had to deal with the, where the problem aligned. Okay? He was correcting the leaders of his time because they were at the helm of the ship. Affecting them could change things like nothing else could. The laws, the traditions, the government, and the lifestyle of these leaders determined how God's people saw God himself. They were giving a distorted view in several areas, but there seemed to me to be at least four main areas. Now, I, I always hate this when someone does this, and I always think, how did they get to four? Like, like, why didn't they do three? Or maybe why not seven? And if you looked at it, there could be ten. So, I, we're going to do four just because four is what I thought of. Does that make sense? Okay. All right, everybody say authority, authority. Tradition. tradition, righteous living, and worship. These four areas are over and over and over, and you can probably put everything in the world in all four of those categories, or you could probably mix them together, whatever, but I'm going to skip it for just for the sake of talking about it. Authority, tradition, righteous living, and worship. Now, we don't have time to walk through all of Scripture and history, but if you look at Reformation that happened in David's life, you know, here they were, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant and they're returning it back and they're on the cart and God kills us for touching it, right? And so they stop and what do they do? They stop and they go get what? Let's go get, let, what does the Bible say about this? They go get it, right? He then Josiah's day. Can you imagine having a church and doing the remodeling so you got to find the money to get it? And, 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 and when we're moving a shelf, we're like, hey, what's this? You know, it's like the Taj Mahal. Supposed to be the most beautiful building in the world, or whatever some people say. They built it for this, you know, man's wife who died young, and, and he built this thing, and they and, and they get so built working on the building, they lose her body. The whole thing is for her burial, and they lose it in the process. Isn't that insane? So it's just like that. They they're looking and they're like, Yeah, we're collecting money, we got the house of the Lord, we got worship going on. Oh, what's this? It's a book. Let's read it. Oh. Wow, what in the world is this book? They lost the Bible. Okay, so what is Josiah? This eight-year-old, he's got sense enough what to do. Who's eight years old? Raise your hand. Any eight years old? All right, so he's got sense enough to go, well, let's read the book and let's find out what to do. And so they read the book and we find out what we're supposed to do. Now, how could it have been that this happened? It's because men's traditions begin to over trump and they begin and, the, and and what was going on in the day began to seem to be more important the building that they were in and the way they worship god and the outfits they had on and whatever was going on became so important to them that they forgot what really defined it all 
Jesus' day was just like this. Martin Luther's day was just like this. And if you look at it and you look at it in a historical, you'll go, wow, it's pretty, it's like the same thing keeps happening and happening. So it might make us think we may be going in wrong. Where are we going wrong when we, when we look at how we view authority? Where are we going wrong when we look at tradition? Where are we going wrong when it looks, when we're looking at the proper way for righteous living? And then how are we going wrong in our worship? All of these things overlap, of course, but it seemed like at least a good starting point. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is definitely the plumb line for all of the teachings of Christ. We went through this for many, many weeks, and we talked about it. And from Matthew 5, 17, where I, my text, I, he, he says this in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, we're living in a day and age when there are entire denominations who just, they, they just read the New Testament as if the Old Testament were not written. Now, if you read this word, words of Christ here in the Sermon on the Mount, how do you get the impression from this that the Old Testament is not important? In fact, there wasn't any New Testament when Jesus was saying these words. Think not that I am come to destroy the list. Say, God's not come to destroy the law. He's not come to destroy the prophets. He's come to fulfill it. God's unchanging word must remain at the foundation of all that we do. Tradition, our expanded view of what authority should look like, righteous living and worship must constantly be adjusted to this. He says, verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth shall pass away, not one uh, tittle or jot shall pass from the law till all be fulfilled. So he's, he's laying it down. Hey, you got a lot of traditions. You have a lot of interesting things that you're doing. And he's not saying that they're all bad. Tradition is not all bad. But there is a time when it's bad. When the traditions of men make the word of God of none effect, they're bad. This is how we get off to the right. We can say, oh, every year at Pentecost Sunday, we're going to do this. And we're going to do this. Or, you know, we're going to have this play. And I, ho- I hope the play that is great. But what happens when our play is so big, we forget Jesus, and we fight through the whole thing, and it kills half the church, and we don't rest and enjoy, then we've we've gone bad, right? Okay, and every year we've had 15 minutes worth of practice, and now we'll have like 20 hours, so whatever, we'll figure it out, right? So, whosoever shall break one of the least of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called least in the kingdom, but whosoever shall do and teach them, he shall be called great in the kingdom. Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, you've got traditions. I'm not saying they're bad. There's things that you're doing. There's lifestyle. There's clothing that you wear. There's ways that you worship. But when those things, those traditions get so expanded and so beyond, they'll fight over those little things that Jesus never said anything about. You know, we'll fight over, should we drink out of one cup or many? Or should the water be, you know, running in a, uh, you know, should we get the water that's living water that's in a stream? Or can it be in a bowl? Or can it be in a tank? And and we can fight about these things and we can lose everything uh, and all of our time is wasted. Now in Matthew 23, Jesus begins to, to lay these people out, okay? And he's laying them out, and I hope he's laying us out when he does this, okay? Woe unto you. Everybody say, woe unto you. Say, woe unto me. Okay, we hear this, and I'm telling you, when I was young, I used to memorize scripture. This is one of these passages that is like, oh, man, this will preach one day. Woe unto you, bunch of scumbags. I can't believe you do all these horrible things. But as you get older, and God begins to humble you, and his spirit begins to work on your life, you look at it, and you say, woe is me. Because what am I doing here? You know, how am I the hypocrite? How am I like the scribes and the Pharisees? Not, not like them, right? 
they, what do they do? They pray. They go, oh, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not, like, I'm not like this tax collector over here, right? And I hope when I read Matthew 23, I'm not here reading and going, I'm thankful I'm not like these scribes and these Pharisees, right? Now, what he says, he says, they pay tithes of mint and ants and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law. Now, he's not saying not to pay your tithes, but he's saying you're, you're tithing things that are so small you can't even see them. You, how much mint can you get from your garden or how much cumin or ants can you... It's so tiny that, that you're like, you're, you're, you're meeting it out and you're wondering one grain or not. You're working so hard on this. And he's saying, I'm not saying don't work hard at that. I'm not saying don't tithe on everything and work. I'm saying, but if it takes all day long to count the tomatoes that are growing and you got to count every... And you're doing this and... And this is what your whole life is about, and you're missing the weightier matters of the law. Then, if you got to pick, you're going to have to take your time, and you're going to work on the weightier matters of the law. And what are they? He said, "It's judgment, mercy, faith." Okay, judgment, mercy, and faith. He says, "These you ought to have done, but not left the other undone." What happens is it's generally cart before the horse. You'll see as we go through Matthew 23 quickly that you'll see it's not that he didn't want them to make disciples, right? It's not that he didn't want them to look good. It's not that he didn't want them to wash the cup. He's saying, here you are, we'll, we'll get into it. Here you are, you're washing the outside. Here you are, you're whiting your sepulcher. Here you're doing all of these things, but inside there's dead men's bones. You got the cart before the horse. And so he's saying, not that you shouldn't do these things, but you need to put them in the right perspective. Now, the reason I drew back my comment before was not because I was going to mention the Baptists, uh, but because it was a little bit risky, that it was a little bit of a joke. So I, I'll share it with you later, but probably not from the pulpit. But when we look at the Great Reformation, and even in our time, there is, and you can, you know, any, his, any history of the Reformation, there is a subscript that out of Reformation, you have the main body of Reformation, and then you have the, the guys that went way, way off, okay? So here they did, they reacted. So they said, you know what? We don't want to be like these Catholics that are selling uh, indulgences. We don't want to be like these Catholics that are building these giant cathedrals. And so how do you react from that? You react from it by going, buildings are bad, and uh, government is bad, and everything they do is bad. And years ago, I preached a sermon about throwing out the baby with the bathwater or throwing out infant baptism with the bathwater, right? And so they threw out infant baptism. They threw out church membership. They threw out ecclesiastical Presbyterian government. They threw out all of these things and they became Anabaptists. They became Congregationalists. They became uh, Credo-Baptists. They began to change all of these things and they went hardcore right. They wouldn't take membership in churches. They wouldn't uh, testify in court and swear on an oath because they went hard right. They went hard right beyond what God's word had commanded because they were recoiling from the ugliness that was Catholicism and how it had strayed from God's word. And so the far right isn't more any more lovely than the far left. And the center is where you got to be. You can't start saying that God doesn't command what he does command. You can't start uh, saying that Everything that anybody, you know, Steve goes bad at his house. The next thing you know, all the good things Steve does are bad. He, you know what? We're not doing family worship anymore because dad did something bad. 
You know, that's what our kids would probably try on us, right? You know, so the church did one thing bad. So let's reject everything that they do as though it's evil. And that's really what the hard right response was. That's not what the Reformation did. The Reformation says, okay, you can't sell forgiveness of sin. So we're going to have to stop doing that. Okay. And you can't make people pay uh, to have their children baptized. You can't make them pay to be buried. They don't have the money to do it. The Bible doesn't say anything about stuff like that. Uh, It's not a sin to be able to read God's word in your own language. And they started to peel off all these crazy things that had gotten in the church. I mean, imagine not being able to read your Bible. And so they began to peel away these crazy things. Well, another group went far, far off and they began to say, well, everything. It was all, all tradition. All, you know, all outfits are bad. All big churches are bad. All government is wrong. They're all oppressive We've picked up on this in our day and age because of of abuse and we've become anti-authority. And I'm telling you, it's going to hurt. It'll hurt you. It'll hurt you and you won't be able to be pastored right. You won't be able to be shepherded and loved by your elders because you're so like, hey, I don't want, I don't want them to, you know, and Tim, you got this, you know, it's one of your inclinations. You, you know, like it's in there. It's just kind of like, wait, 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 you know, I don't want to become a cult member. You know, I, I, you know. You know, I don't need that. You know, it's in you. It's, it gets in us and we're afraid. And we got to say, no, I'm not going to be afraid. You know, I've been around 20 years and I'm pretty sure we're not involved in some crazy call. I'm going to allow my pastor to pastor me. Now, I'm not saying that Tim's got horrible problems, but it's his first inclination sometimes is this, you know. But it's in there. It's the, your dad's, you know, your anti-authoritiness. And we get in it as home churchers and homeschoolers and all this stuff. This, we don't want the government involved in our life and we don't want anyone messing with us. You know, when it comes to tradition, we say it's all bad. Tradition uh, has a strong place in God's word. We tend to want to establish tradition and we should, we just need to be careful how we do it. We need to be careful not to develop our own pharisaical class of robe scholars whose main focus is on how good we can be okay and this sort of defines a problem that we have in the church today you know how squeaky clean can our kids look and be how good does it feel when our relatives go wow your kids are are more behaved than any kids i've seen and wow look they comb their hair you know wow they don't wear pajamas to walmart wow you know they don't you know tell you you're an idiot and they don't have you know red kool-aid stains on their face 24 7 and we like it you know and so the more they do that the more we like it wow we're good you know and how many tests can our kids take and how much smarter are they and oh my goodness and oh we're so righteous and we're so holy and our children look so beautiful and godly you can get to loving that and and become something very very ugly to god we need to be a people of simplicity and humility making sure that our traditions do not make the word of god of none effect that we are more focused on the our catechism than we are the word of god and that's not uh, a reproach that we're working on the catechism but we can become so focused on our kids learning the catechism that they never learn the bible I was surprised when I read the, uh, the forward to the incarnation by C.S. Lewis that in his time he said, he said, you know, people should read the Bible. He said, all we're doing now is reading commentaries about the Bible. No one actually reads the Bible anymore. 
You know? And the catechism is fantastic. We can learn it. And everyone knows the catechism. And you quote a scripture and they're like, huh? What? What's that? What's that? What does that say? Or even you quote a scripture and someone answers you to try to, to try to act like the catechism is on par with the word of God and debate you. It's like, oh, no, we're, we're not doing that. You know, the Bible says X, Y, Z. Well, but the catechism says, well, it's like, well, whoa, whoa, not even to be brought out. Inappropriate. Okay. Not saying I think the, I think the catechism is just dead on, but, but you, I hope you understand what I'm saying. We can focus on developing elders and what we look at is things the Bible doesn't, you know. We're in this television uh, society, this internet communication society, and we think the most important thing is, is could a guy teach? And you know what? Hey, maybe, maybe you like listening to me teach. Maybe I can keep your kids interested for a little while. But folks, it, it better be a different standard than are they scholarly? Have they been through all the things? Can they answer all the questions? I mean, I, I had recently another one telling me about how this person, man, man they, really, they really should be an elder. And I'm listening to them and I'm going, how crazy are these people? They're like, well, the only part that he's missing is, is you know whatever and I'm like what I mean I know this person I'm like what do you mean well the only part is missing is just dealing with people I'm like okay that seems to me that maybe that should be moved to the front how about that guys an elder should be able to deal with people he ought to be apt to teach we can get the the cart before the horse oh he's theologically sound and he's smart and he does good in business or whatever does he talk to people Does he love people? Does he go to them? Does he include them? Can he work in a team? These things are the kind of things that are told to us in Scripture that are the most important. But we can become lovers of scholarly, uh, lovers of people who can communicate well. People that look good, you know, like me. Beautiful people. You guys like my hair? I'm growing my hair out. Did you guys notice this? If you don't notice it, don't say anything. It'll hurt my feelings, okay? But there's hair coming out again, all right? Righteousness is another thing, and I know these are uh, overlapping, but, you know, the Bible says our righteousness should be judged by the way that we make judgments about other people, the mercy that we display, and the faith that we live by. That's what righteousness is. Now, we think righteousness is something else. I'm telling you, we get it in our head that we think it's something else. You want to know if a righteous, if man is righteous, he'll be a man who walks by faith and not by sight, who doesn't respond in fear, who does, isn't just anti-everything, but he's for something. That's what a righteous man is. A righteous man is not necessarily a guy who, you know, uh, knows how to make you think he prays five hours a day or that he studies 25 hours a night or whatever it is. That's not what righteousness is. One who would, oh, I can't believe you would ever think I would do that. I mean, you would really think I would do that. There are people that can make you think they're really holy and you have no idea what they're living like. They know how to act that way. Righteousness is not a, a, a person who doesn't live life, who doesn't drink deep, a man who's not passionate, who loves things. That is, that is, that is the de- definition of righteousness. A man who lives a life that is exciting and beautiful and appealing. Why? Because that's the life that God has for us. We should be enjoying our lives. Worship. And the thing is, it wasn't that, and we'll read through this real quick, and I won't go too far, I won't preach forever, but 
worship. It wasn't that they didn't worship. It was how they did it in their emphasis. Jesus is having to stand by the temple and watch a woman walk by. And he's having to explain that the people that appear to be important aren't really the people that are really impressing God. You guys remember this? So a woman's coming by and she's got this offering that, that no one would even stop. If it was on the ground, no one would pick it up. But this woman comes and Jesus points out, do you understand, men? This woman has given more than anyone here. You see, giving in worship isn't giving God our crumbs. It isn't just doing our duty to pay our tithing. But this woman gave everything she had in faith to God. And God said, that is worship. And we go, well, it's, it's something else. It's what we do on Sunday. It's these books. It's a liter- No, 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 no. Jesus stood by and he watched the guy say the kind of prayer that maybe we could write back here. And he's praying, the pr- oh Lord, I thank you that I fast twice a week and that I tithe of everything that I have and that I'm not living like a wretched sinner. Oh God. And there's this other guy who's beating upon his breast, who can't even approach, who feels like he shouldn't even go. And Jesus goes, oh now, there's worship right there. You see Jesus pointing it out? He points it out because we can't see it. Because what we see is we go, oh, is, 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 the, is the holy worship of God going on like it should? Sometimes when I talk to my brothers and, 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 and they talk to me like that, I want to like smack them. And you might go, what are you talking about? I don't know, I'm saying that they're all wrong. I'm saying it's in us all to go wrong the other way. They'll be like, my goal is that the, that the holy worship of God will, will be so lovely when the people of God get together. And I'm just like, it sounds like you just love creating atmosphere. Like when we get to talk in breathy tones and, and when we make sure that no one is off key. And when the words that we sing are just the perfect ones, then it's almost like what it was when I came in the Pentecostal church. Once we do the right chord progressions... It's like we're conjuring a spirit. God forbid, uh, uh, you know, the, the power would go off. You know? God forbid you're in the prayer room. Oh, God, mercy. And what was, who was telling this story the other day? Who was telling you a story about the person turning off the lights? Was it you? Was it you, Steve? He, he said, they were in there and they said, and before church people, the people of God, the people that were spiritual would show up. Now, it wouldn't be any of you, okay, because I know this about you. They would show up an hour before church to pray. <laughs> and they would come and they would go and they had a back room and they'd turn the lights down just a little bit and people would begin to pace. Oh, God. Oh. And, and in the, you, you haven't been around this, but in Pentecost, and then someone, oh, they get to go. And next thing you know, they're all kind of feeling it together. Oh, and it's all good, right? And then someone walks in, the lights are in, and they just they flip the lights switch on. Click. Someone goes, Oh, you just you just you just stop the move of God. Turn the lights back on. They go over there, they turn the lights back on. Oh God, you know, somebody goes, come on. So this old guy he goes, I just can't see. He flips the lights back on. Oh the, it's all messed up. Now the Holy Ghost is scared and he's left the building and he's afraid. And now the Spirit of God is not moving. Now that was just as silly as us pretending that if we get it just perfect, if we, if we arrange all the seats in a perfect row and, and, and we say the liturgy and we do it in the exact proper, if we got, we got to go in this and once we get in this and this and the secrets of the, of the kingdom all will come out and God will come down and kiss the earth right where we are. Hallelujah. I don't think so. 
Jesus talked about worship being something else. It's not ceremony. We should have beautiful ceremony. The liturgy of what we do every week should speak of Him. But our worship can go wrong. Or we can go to where our hats get bigger and our robes get bigger and our churches get more beautiful. And inside we become more ugly. I mean, imagine during the time of the the Great Reformation, there had been great poverty in the earth and people were dying of starvation everywhere and the church was building cathedrals. People were dying of starvation in their parishes and they were building buildings that would cost billions of dollars to build. Do you th- now I love the I love to go see they're beautiful. But what takes away from the beauty to me when I go is I go they were selling forgiveness of sin. People were starving. People were afraid their babies were in hell cuz they couldn't come up with the money to baptize them and they died. God have mercy on us. Men were living in ministry and they were being paid calvin among them and for years he never even was at the church and he got money from it because that's just the way it was it was like a job you could just get the check and you could live anywhere you want because it was a political thing you could buy god have mercy on them finally calvin goes what am i doing here i am i thought i was okay because i'm out doing the work of god i could go do it but i need to i need to stop this now he said years had passed And he'd never even seen the church that was paying for his living. We love the fancy robes, the titles, the special seats. Does that sound familiar? That's what they liked. I'll close by going through this as quickly as I can. Jesus spake to the multitude and to the disciples saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe. Now this is important. They're wrong, but obey them. Now, for you anti-authority people, this is pretty rough. Scribes, they sit in Moses' seat. They're in charge. Everybody say they were in charge. Now they're off and they're wrong, but they're in charge. But he says, obey them. Now, isn't that amazing? All that they tell you to do, do it. I've never heard anyone use that scripture as a, a church authority scripture, but... Jesus is laying it down. Obey what they tell you to do, but don't live like them. And he starts to go in. Now, see, this is where it's at. He says, they bind heavy burdens, grievous to be born. Now, they had the authority. See, we don't even think the church has real authority. But they're laying these burdens. He didn't say, don't bear these heavy burdens. He's faulting them for putting the burdens on the people. This is what Andy and I don't want to be a part of in this church. We don't want to lay burdens on you that you can't bear. All therefore that they bid you, do it. They sit in Moses' seat, but don't live like they do. Do not do after their works, for they say and they do not. They bind heavy burdens, grievous to be borne. They lay on other men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with their fingers. All their works they do to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries. They got the biggest Bible in the church. They enlarge the borders of their garments. They're dressed better than anybody else. They love the uppermost rooms and the feasts and the chief seats of the synagogue. They love it when you think they're important and when you treat them with respect. There's nothing wrong with treating your elders with respect. It's wrong when we like it, Andy. When we demand it, when we command it, and when we like to strut it. God hates that. He doesn't hate a beautiful 
submission to God's authority, but what he hates is men who love to be treated that way. They love the greetings in the marketplace. They love to be called teacher. I think it's funny how many internet pastors there are. There's like everybody's one. They're writing scriptures every single day. I've pastored for 30 years. I've labored in the word of God my whole life. I'm afraid to even say anything about the Bible on the internet. Lest I'm too stupid. Lest they want to have a four you know, year argument on the internet over it all. Who are these people? They're people who have too much time and too little sense, I think. If you just started an internet ministry, shut her down, Virgil. Just kidding. Call no man father upon the earth for one of your father which is in heaven. Neither call you. They love they their titles. He said, he that's greatest among you shall be a servant. You know, we like to serve, but we don't like to do the things that nobody wants to do. We call serving the things that we think are holy, the things that we think are spiritual. And what God calls us, those of us that he calls to lead, he calls us to do stuff that people don't like to do and that is hard to do. And man, I feel really, I I feel good today in the pulpit now because I can't even hardly close my hands and I got splinters all over me and I stayed up to two o'clock in the morning several nights this week. Man, I feel real good. God help me if I do. That's my job. Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and whosoever shall humble himself shall be exalted. But woe unto you, scribes and hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. He's saying you haven't been merciful to people. You've been too hard on people. You've made them all think they're never going to make it to heaven. You've treated them like dogs. And he said, you know what? A man that is a righteous man and a righteous leader, he will be a man of mercy. He will be a man who wants so much to restore and to bring a man into a good place. He's not afraid he's going to lose a buddy. He does it for the glory of God, but he does it with mercy. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you shall receive the greater damnation. He didn't say, it wasn't, their problem wasn't that they didn't pray. It was the kind of prayers they prayed for the reasons they prayed. It wasn't that they cared about money. It's that they cared about it more than they cared about the widow. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You can pass land to see to make proselytes. He's not against discipleship. He's against discipleship that makes someone your follower. Paul only said to follow me as I follow who? Follow Christ. The role of all of us as parents should not be for us to raise up you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten fans of ourselves who follow us, who want to live next door to us. We need to raise up children who love God, who want to follow Him to the ends of the earth, who don't care if they get to live next to us and who we shouldn't care if they do. If we're blessed if they do. But they're not ours anyway. And we can make proselytes and disciples of those and land and see what? To sit around and say, you've been a really good mama. You've been a really good dad. Look how good you've done. And we can make our children that for our lives instead of servants of God who would be willing to die just like the reformers did. Who would be willing to die just like Jesus did. He goes on, he said, you swear by the temple and you say it's nothing. You swear by the gold of the temple. And they had all these rules and he's saying, you made up a bunch of ridiculous nonsense rules. That's what you're doing, scribes and Pharisees. 
And it sounds spiritual. And I'm telling you, this is where we, this is one of the things we go wrong. And you can read about this in Colossians. There are things that feel really, really spiritual. And he's describing one. Some people say, I will pay you back. And I swear by the altar that I will. Doesn't that almost sound spiritual? Not spiritual about it. That's, that's a wood. That wood right there used to just grow outside somewhere. Part of it might have been used to burn a fire in somebody's house. There's nothing. Swear by the altar? But it sounds spiritual, right? There are things that we do that make us feel spiritual. Colossians said there are things where, where we abase ourselves or we deprive ourselves or, or we live these extreme lives, you know. And somehow we think we're impressing God. Woe unto you, scribes and hypocrites, Pharisees, for you pay tithe of men, ants of cumin. You've omitted the weightier matters of the law. What are the weightier matters? Everybody say law. Judgment. Mercy. And faith. These ought you to have done and not left the other undone. You blind gods, you strain at a gnat, you swallow a camel. Woe be to you, scribes and Pharisees. You make clean the outside of the cup of the platter and within you're full of extortion and excess. We are all so filthy rich and have more than we need. And when we mully grub and we complain that we're poor. Next person to make comment about how poor you are to me is going to get going to get a uh, earful we're the richest people on earth we're in the top whatever tiny percent of the entire world they live in struggle every single day and because we have a few little problems folks don't say you're poor outwardly you appear righteous unto men but inside you're full of iniquity He starts to close it. He says, and this is, this, is, this is Reformation, Jesus style. This is Reformation, our style. He said, you know what your problem is? Is when you look at history, you think that wouldn't be me. If I had been in the days of our fathers, we would have never taken part in killing these prophets. That's what we do. We look at history through the lens of, I wouldn't be that guy in that story. That's what we do. When we do that, it's just Flat out pride. Wherefore you are witnesses yourselves that you are the children of them that killed the prophets. And what Jesus is saying is you think you wouldn't have killed them, you would have killed them. You think you wouldn't have sold the indulgences, you would have sold them. You think you wouldn't have uh, lived free off the church if you could have, you would have. You think you wouldn't have, you would have. He said, you're serpents, you're a generation of vipers. He's explaining to them their need for grace. This is not, it doesn't end with you're all bad. It ends with, you are evil. Humble yourself before God. Repent of your sins. Rend your hearts, not your garments. And God will be pleased with that. God is going to be pleased with the righteousness of Christ, not Jeff's, not Paul's, not mine. God isn't requiring perfection from us. Can anyone be saved? You guys know the catechism question? Can anybody be saved by the doctrine of works? Or the covenant of works? Say no, none can be saved. Right? Can anyone change his own heart? Everybody say, no, none can change a sinner's heart. Right? 
Only God can do that. And so we fall upon the mercy of God, but we need to live in humility. The humility that says, I am, sub- I am easily strayed to the right and to the left. Remember Paul's admonition to the Ephesians. He said that we henceforth be no more tossed to and fro about every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. He's saying the walk of God is not a walk that lists and, and strays, but we got to stay in the middle. He tells them that judgment is coming. And what I would tell you today is not that judgment is coming, but that reformation can be coming to us as a church. That we can constantly be reforming if we look at these areas. And instead of looking how bad they were and how we wouldn't be so bad, we would look at ourselves and say, how am I doing the same thing? And how can I be anchored in the Word of God? How can my life focus on the majors, on faith and on mercy and on judgment and on law? How can I learn to love the beautiful traditions that my fathers have given me and establish new ones but not make them more important than God's Word? How can I help my children to understand what the center is of the Christian life? And the answer is by finding it yourself. So let us pray today, people of God, that at this 500th anniversary of the Reformation, we can learn from it so that we cannot walk in the same paths of those that needed the reforming so bad and that we could get on the path of those reformers. It only took a few. It took less people than are in this room right here to change the entire world and we could change the church by the way we live. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We hear from your word many things that should be convicting our hearts today and i pray that you would give us the courage to obey them not to sit and say is he talking about me the answer is yes i'm talking about you if you're wondering if my if i wrote the sermon just for you yes i did lord i pray that we would see it as a an admonition to examine our lives and to pray that you would keep us in the center that we would learn not for the sake of knowledge sake but for the humble understanding that if we don't know the history we are going to repeat it help us O oh god to follow in the plain paths the narrow path that you have set and not to get distracted to the right or to the left for he that goeth to the plow and look back is not worthy of the kingdom in christ's name we pray and all the church said amen Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.